It's uh, long-time friendships are great treasures when people have been around the block with you once, twice, or 20 times. It um, just gets better by the year, and it's a, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you for opening the doors and um, letting me have this time in the pulpit. Looking forward to what we're going to share this week and, and next week. Um, since, as James mentioned, um, all those ministries around California, which kind of led us in 2020 to go on board with an organization called the National Network of Youth Ministries. And it's a national organization that, that seeks to get every single youth pastor plugged into a healthy local network, partnering together to get the gospel to every single kid. And as we were um, looking at a transition during that time, as we've lived and ministered throughout California, from the desert to the mountains to the valleys to the beaches, um, the organization needed some in Central California and said, well, that's my people. That's my turf. So kind of I have from Ventura over to Bakersfield and then up to Stockton, Merced, Modesto, kind of even Sacramento um, is part of the area that we minister to. So it's something that we really enjoy. One of the things that we found is that when um, when youth pastors, the average stay of a youth pastor is 3.9 years. James just blows that out of the water. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, that more than doubles to 9.2 years when a guy is surrounded by teammates and allies and confidants who can go with him in a network and do ministry together. Oh, also need to say, um, by the way, hello to my friend Bill Turner. We go back to uh, Trinity Baptist days in Santa Barbara um, during my youth and childhood. It's so fun to see, see Bill here also. And this is what's fun about my job is everywhere I go, I get to bump into the Bill Turners that I know all around California and just bring some encouragement and some hope and some joy. So let me pray and then we'll dive into the, the word and the message. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your family. Thank you for your body. Thank you for a place to gather. Thank you for a, a church to be, to call home, a, a place to be. We thank you for these blessings, Lord, that come into our life. We don't take them for granted. And this morning, as we've delighted in you through worship, now we want to delight in your word. And we pray along with the psalmist, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. So, ever do any canoeing? Ever take a, uh, take a sailor's daughter? My father-in-law has invented and designed sailboats. And you take a water skier who's grown up in water ski boats. And just a year or two into marriage, you put him in a canoe on a river. We're not talking a placid lake. We're talking a, a river with flowing water and, and currents. We were, it was my first youth ministry up in Hillmar, California, smack in the dab, dab in the middle of the state. And the Stanislaus River flows through there. Uh, you have the Merced River coming out of Yosemite. Then you have the Tuolumne River coming north of that. And then the next one is the Stanislaus River. And heard that it was kind of fun to do float trips on that. And it was kind of cheap. You can go up to Knight's Ferry. And there's some places where you can rent in a canoes or rafts. And so we did that with a youth group. And most of the kids took a raft, but I'm like, I'm a water skier. 
we're getting a canoe. And so we, we rent this canoe, and you, you, you put in, you, you have about 100 yards of flat water to figure out what in the world you're doing before it really starts flowing downstream. And now, this is not white water rafting by any means. This is just, so, so class one water is like flat water. That, that's a lake or water that's slightly moving. Class two water is when you start to get some rapids, and it may just be six, eight inches, but there, there's just a little movement there. The water's doing stuff. But by the time you get to class three, now you're usually in a raft and you're starting to white water and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's this class two rapid just a hundred yards downstream from where you put in. So you got to get your act together real quick. And, and then you come and there's rocks and boulders and logs and you kind of got to navigate your way through. Once you get through that, it's pretty smooth sailing. But we, uh, we were, spent the first hundred yards arguing over who was in charge. And uh, is it the guy in the back who's steering or is it the person in the front who's paddling and directing? Um, we managed to survive. We managed to get through it and live to tell the day. In fact, we had so much fun that day. We even went back home about 20 miles back to our house and got our dog, my black lab, brought him for day two. It was a two-day trip that we were doing and had a great time. But if you're going to canoe... And if you're going to hit some rapids, you better be in agreement. You better have a plan. You better be in sync. You better be unified as to what you're doing or you're going to be in the drink. The following year, we went back and we did the trip again. And I did it with one of my staff guys. And we dumped the canoe. And, and it's easy to do, much easier than I thought. And that thing, once a canoe gets on its side and you got water coming downstream, that thing turns into a log. And the two of us together, 20-something-year-old guys, could not get this canoe unstuck by ourselves. We had to have another guy come and help us get going down the stream. Same way in church, same way in families, in any business, in any organization. You've got to be working together. There's got to be unity. There's got to be cooperation. We can't be doing our own thing. We've got to be doing our thing together. And Jesus, obviously knowing that, prays for that very thing the night before he dies. And we want to dwell in that, spend some time just kind of soaking in that story this morning. Because relationships take work. This, this church thing takes work. Community takes work. It takes hard work. And it just, it, it astounds me that the very last thing that Jesus prays for is basically, oh God, help them. <laughs> this is not going to be easy. And the prayer that he prays for us, just four verses long, is amazing. So let's, um, let's dive in and, and soak into it. You can be finding your way to John chapter 17, verse 20 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I want to start in the very, very beginning. God. God by himself. The, the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. That means before Jesus says, let there be light. Something had to happen, and I imagine there's a staff meeting that goes down between the Father, between the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're talking about, let's make man in our image. Let's create some people. We have this great, we have a perfect relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We, we're all we need, but we would like more. We want to create people to be in a relationship with. And in his omniscience, God knows how this is going to go down. And he knows what's going to happen in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he knows that a price is going to have to be paid. And the Bible says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. And I just imagine a moment where the Father looks to the Son 
And they know what's going to go down. They know where this is going to go. It's going to lead to the cross so that we could be here today. And somebody says, let's roll. Let's do this. And so God says, let there be light. And we get Adam. And, and, and Adam is with God. And he's walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And it, it's not just right yet. There needs to be Eve. And so God takes Eve from his side. And, and now we have God and Adam. And we have Eve. And, and then we add kids. And we add more kids. And we had problems. And they start killing each other. It gets, it gets bad and hard really quickly. <laughs> and then here we are today. The story of the Old Testament is one of God forming a people for himself. And the story of the New Testament is the formation of the church, the family of God. And, and these, these letters, this New Testament, the whole reason we have a New Testament primarily, well, there, there's teaching of doctrine, but there's solving problems. <laughs> it's like this thing, it starts off pretty good, but then quickly it turns into a royal mess. And Paul starts writing letter after letter after letter, trying to help people figure out how to live together in community and unity with one another. Um, did you ever hear the story about uh, the, the guy who got lost on a deserted island somewhere in the middle of the Pacific? And, and he finally got rescued. And, and the rescuers picked him up and he gathered his few things and he, he hops on the boat. He's so glad to be on this boat. And they're, they're sailing away out from the island. And as they get a little bit farther out, they see that there's three huts, probably not this nice, um, on the beach. And they're like, well, so what's the story with the three huts? He said, well, the, the one on the left, um, that's my house. Oh, that's, that's pretty nice. And the one in the middle, that's, uh, that's my church. And the guy's like, what's, what's the other one? He said, yeah, that's my old church. You know, the problem with the, in fact, G.K. Chesterton, did you ever hear this quote? G.K. Chesterton, that Englishman, um, I think it was the London Times, posed the question, what's wrong with the world? And his answer was simply this, dear sir, what's wrong with the world is me. I make my own messes. I bring my own trouble. You put two people who love each other like crazy, you put them in a canoe or you put them in a room long enough and it's going to get hard. And it's going to get messy. This, this life thing, this relationship thing is tough. And Jesus prays that we would figure that out. So, uh, John chapter 17. Uh, let's see what we got here. Oh, I was gonna, there's a couple pictures. Just a little glimpse of what I do with the National Network of Youth Ministries. I'm not here to, to preach or teach about NNYM, but it's in the context. This passage that I'm going to bring to you is really the heart and soul of our organization. And uh, I just spend some of my time meeting with youth pastors. The guy in the middle, I try to meet a lot with him because he needs a lot of meeting. Um, but uh, coffee and times of conversation, youth pastors retreat up at Hume Lake, um, network meetings that you can see happening there. And it leads to things like in the bottom left-hand corner, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes every fall does this event called Fields of Faith. It's at several high schools around the Central Coast, not all of them, but this one's at San Marcos High School in Santa Barbara, but it's really for the whole Santa Barbara area. And they had this fall three to 350 high schoolers there hearing the gospel in the football stadium. I think there are about 30 kids who got saved 
believe that night. It was amazing. Up in the upper left-hand corner was just uh, not quite a year ago, a bunch of um, youth pastors up in the Pismo Beach area decided, hey, let's just get all our, youth pa- all our youth groups together and worship on the beach and share the gospel. It was great. Got to go in and, and drop on that. But those things kind of happen when we get people together and build unity and build community and build trust and build cooperation, and then the good stuff starts to happen. So, This is what Jesus prays for. So look at this. John 17. I pray not only for these. He had just, the previous verses, he's praying for the disciples. The guys right in the room with him. Uh, This is right after the Last Supper. And Jesus begins to pray. Prays for him and the Father. He prays for the disciples. Verse 20. He says, I pray not only for these, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. People, that's us. 2,000 some years ago, Jesus is in a room with his disciples and in his omniscience, he's praying for you and me and us and trying to do church in 2024. Verse 21, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. We're going to unpack this. We're going to try to digest this a little bit and and get a... um, Get a good feel for it because it is so rich. There's so much going on here that I hope will be greatly um, encouraging to you. The key concept here is oneness that Jesus is praying for. Father, I pray that they would be one. And this oneness is a composite unity. It's the idea of various, varied, multiple things coming together to form one new entity. It's God himself is a composite unity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The, the Hebrew word is akkad. It, it means many things that, that are one. It, it's, God starts it this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's a oneness, there's a unity in God that he wants to share with you and I. He wants us to get in on. This is mind-blowing. This is where... Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. It's not about the the laws and legalities of what we do. It's not about trying to be a good person. It is on a whole nother level from any other religion out there. God has this incredible unity going on with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he wants us to get in on it together. It's just even, it's the pure relationship. It's the most deep, incredible relationship you could imagine. Composite materials, you're, I, I'm, I'm no engineer, but you're familiar with composite materials. You know the first composite material? I'll show you right here. Mud and straw. It's a composite. That was the first composite material in history. Do you, anybody know how old plywood is? Plywood is about 6,000 years old. Um, the Persians, Iranians, right about the time that the Egyptians were doing mud and straw, Persians and Iranians started taking pieces of wood and laminating them together in various directions, discovering that the composite was stronger 
than just a single solid piece of wood. Fiberglass is a composite that's, you know, something that's more recent that um, has radar eluding capabilities. It's amazingly strong as well as amazingly flexible. Um, it's revolutionized boat building, surfboard building, water skis, Chevy Corvettes. Um, it's amazing what fiberglass has done. This mixture of resin and, and glass fibers and you put them together and it does amazing things. Kevlar and what that's done for bulletproof um, body armor and things like that. Even rope. You take a, a water ski rope and you just get these thin little strands of plastic but you get enough of them and you weave them together and you can pull thousands of pounds. It's pretty amazing. They are much stronger than one material alone by itself. And in Christ, we are incorporated into the already perfect composite unity of God. This is why the church is going to endure. This is why it's going to last. Because God is perfect in himself. And then he brings us into his composite unity. And that is the endurance of the church. That is why it is not going to fail. Okay, so the question, why is oneness such a big deal? Why is this important? So I've, I put the scripture up here and I've highlighted it in various colors to help you kind of see what's going on and connect some dots here to get what's, what uh, Jesus is, is praying for. The unity of God's people is critical to the world knowing Jesus. This is one of the points that he's trying to make here. Verse 21 and verse 23, he says, Father, I pray that they would be one so that the world may believe that you sent me and then down at the bottom, that the world may know that you have sent me. Apparently, apparently, <laughs> there's this connection between the unity of the church and God's people and the Great Commission. Apparently. <laughs> Rumor has it, in Jesus' words, that the more unified we are, the more we love each other, the more connected we are, the more people will come to know Christ. Jesus said it. It's not a technique, it just is, it's reality. And we'll explain why. Hopefully in a few minutes you'll, you'll really understand. Twice Jesus mentions this in just five sentences. And he prays this so that people will come to know him. But he wants more than just faith. He wants more than just knowledge. More than just believing the right stuff. He wants love. He wants love. The very bottom. I pray all this so that they... So, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. It's not just a head trip. It's a, it's a heart thing. It's a, it's a love thing that God wants to see happening. So knowing God's love is something that happens in a loving church. It, we can't just know God's love by sitting down and studying the Bible for eight hours a day. I mean, you will learn a lot. It will be an amazing blessing if you had eight hours to soak up in God's word. But it has to be learned. It has to be discovered in the community of God's people. I am so glad that after COVID, I think the stats, latest stats I've heard is that 95% of believers have come back to church. There's about 5% that are still home in their pajamas and their coffee and their hot chocolate just watching on TV. But somebody said, you know what? I, I, I'm so glad for the technology that's, that got us through all of that. But watching church on TV is like watching a fireplace or a campfire on TV. You see it, but the warmth isn't there. It's not the same. And, and I, I got that app on my TV. Sometimes I turn it on and like the little snap, crackle, pop, and, and it's cool. But it's not the same as being face-to-face, eye-to-eye with people. There's something unique that happens when God's people are together. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am also. 
so glad you're here. And folks, this is so important that you are here, that you are present for your own encouragement and the encouragement of other people. Uh, Paul prays something similar. In Ephesians, am I on the right slide here? Um, Yeah, let's go there. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's doing this beautiful outline of the gospel and everything going on. And three times, I think it is in Ephesians, two or three times, he stops to pray that they would understand what's going on. Because I think think Paul, I mean, God gave Paul a lot of insight into who he was and into the gospel and who we are as a church. And so Paul periodically just, wait, I got to stop. I got to (laughs) pray. You're not going to get this unless God reveals it to you. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, one of his prayers, he says, Oh God, I pray that these people, that the Ephesians, that us today, being rooted and established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and the depth and width of God's love, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that they, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul says, God, you got to help them get it. you got to help them know how much we love them, that God loves them. <laughs> Check this out. He says, um, I pray that they would be able to comprehend, in the blue, God's love that what? Surpasses knowledge. So there's this love of God that Paul's like, nobody can get it. It's amazing. God's love surpasses knowledge. There's no way we could ever fully grasp it. But God, I want you to help people get it. I want you to help them know the unknowable. Well, how is this going to happen? How are we going to comprehend this love that surpasses knowledge? See what's underlined? With the saints. There's something that happens with the saints, with God's people, where we comprehend God's love in a way that we can't when we're just in our kitchen table by ourselves studying the word. It's got to happen together in community. Unity reveals God's love for us. Apparently, there's this connection between the oneness of God, or the oneness of God's people and the world coming to know Christ. So, pop quiz right here. Which church do you think would see more conversions? The one that is bitter and fighting and individualistic, and cranky, and self-centered, or the church that pours out love, and warmth, and care, and mercy, and grace towards one another. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. And so this passage is calling us to move in that direction, to move away from our self-centered sinfulness, and move towards the warm love of Christ, from him, through him, and to each other. Last February, about 11 months ago, um, my dad passed up in Redding, California. A a year ago, I was with him in January, and we watched the Rose Bowl and and had um, kind of our last sort of hangout time together. He had been kind of declining since um, about August or September, and I got the call January 31st that um, it's time. And so I did the Reading 500 once again to go up to, to be with him. And the, the first, uh, first couple of days were pretty good and some laughing and, and joking and a lot of sleep, sleeping, but some good times. And the next three days, he was awake and alert a couple hours a day. Um, 
there was a Sunday that was the last day that we, that we had with him, and it was, um, only had him for a few hours awake, but um, he uh, mentioned to us a couple times things like, he just, he looked at us all in the room, and he said, God is here, and I'm happy. And um, after that Sunday, there were three more days, and, and then he passed, and those were just long days, but the peace of God that passes all understanding was in that room. The grace of God was in that place. Um, and, <laughs> you know, as a Bible teacher, anybody studies the Bible, you, you kind of go, we're going to study the book of Ephesians. Okay, so you open it up. Paul the Apostle to the Ephesians, grace and mercy and peace to you in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, come on. Now, now get into it, Paul. Get into it. And you skip over the perfunctories. What I discovered 11 months ago in a fresh way was that the grace, the mercy, the peace, that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. And I saw the grace of God through the way my brother cared for my dad the last five years. He lived up in the same town, and it was not always easy. And my brother was the hands and feet of Jesus to my dad. And the caregivers that would come into his room to care for him in very personal ways. They were the hand, those ladies, they, I don't even know if they, it was one of, well, um, one of them came to know the Lord during that week, kind of came back to him. But they were the hands and feet of Jesus to my dad. The grace of God was tangible. Not because I was studying it in this inspired, God-breathed word, but because I was feeling it with people that were doing the love of God to my dad. That's what Paul says. I, I, I pray that they would get it, but they got to comprehend it with all of the saints. This is a team sport. We do it together. It's not an individual thing. Well, how do we do this? Um, unity displays the glory of God. This, <laughs> this is just amazing. This is why Satan is trying to always divide us apart because this, this just gets at the core of the way that God displays his glory. Look again at verse 22 and 23. I have given them the glory that you have given me. Whoa. Okay, we know Jesus has glory, glory of God. And he says, I'm going to give it to them. The glory of God, I'm going to give it to these 12 and to, to, to us. He's going to give it to us today. He wants, I want to give them my glory. Why? So that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one. You notice the parallelism there going on? Jesus, is, he's driving at oneness. But how are we going to get to this oneness? I've given them the glory. I in them, you are in me. The glory of God, I think is his, per, well, his perfection, but his perfect relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have a perfect relationship. And, and it's what he wanted for us, starting with Adam and Eve and, and onward. He says, I, I got to get people in on this perfect relationship. What are the two biggest commands? Love God, love people. <laughs> what do we have the hardest time with? Idolatry and being jerks. <laughs> God says, I want, them in. I want them in on the glory of love. I want them in on the glory of my relationship that I have with you. I want them in on it also. 
And so Jesus says that he has given us the glory of God and then reinforcing that he wants us to have it with him. I am in them and you are in me. Whoa, did you catch that? I am in them and you are in me. This is not just a religion. This is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. This is... God in us and us in him. Do you know the most common descriptor of Christians in the New Testament? The two-word phrase, in Christ. It's not Christian. It's not believer. It's not anything else. It's a two-word phrase, in Christ. That doesn't sound like do's and don'ts in religion to me, does it? That's a whole other level thing. It's the most perfect, intimate relationship that could ever be had. It's crazy. So let's connect the dots. Okay. Um, Becoming a Christian means being in Christ. It means becoming one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean memorizing the Ten Commandments and trying to do them as best as you can. It's not what it means. It means being in Christ. Christ. When this happens, we get a glimpse of the glory of God, his perfect oneness, his perfect love, the perfect relationship. We start to get a taste of that love. And as we soak up God's perfect love for us, we are then transformed. Okay, so this is, this is what has changed me morally um, and the way that I live my life and the fact that I'm, I'm here today um, by the grace of God and the grace of my wife. Um, In Colossians 3.10, Paul is talking about all these things that we ought to do. Be patient, be kind, be loving, be long-suffering. All of these one another kind of things that we know we ought to do. And and he explains how that happens in Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. He says, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. It's New American Standard Bible. It's kind of Yoda speak. Um, More simply put, in the New Living Translation, Put on your new nature. Well, how do I put on a new nature? How do I be more patient? How do I be more kind? How do I not be a jerk at work? Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And so the more we get to know who God is, that transforms us. How does that work, Dan? Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. One of my biggest struggles in the Christian life has been anger. Um, I don't have time to really tell you my whole um, story this morning, but went to a uh, Promise Keepers conference to get, um, like, be a better husband. And as my wife drove me to get dropped off to the Promise Keepers conference, we weren't talking. (laughs) I'm a youth pastor, Pastor Robles, California, and I'm not talking to my wife. And she drops me off at my friend's church, and we go up to Stockton to Promise Keepers, and this verse gets preached on, and God just did an amazing work in me that day. But I'm, I'm, we're meditating on this verse, Psalm 103, verses 8. It's like the Lord is compassionate. I'm like, I love that. I love that God is compassionate. The Lord's gracious. Oh, man, do I need the grace of God. I love God's grace. Oh, man, do I love it. Uh, God is slow to anger. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that God has got a long fuse with me. And the Lord is abounding in loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word has said. There's a whole sermon in itself just on that word. 
God is just so for us and so good to us and he protects us and provides for us and watches out for us and cares for us. And I'm looking at this going, I love the Lord is compassionate. I love that he's gracious. I love that he abounds in loving kindness. And I'm so glad he's got a long fuse. And I'm so not. And it's killing my wife and kids. God changed me. I hate my anger. I hate it, Lord. Change me. The fact that you, God, are gracious, I love that. I want to be gracious too. The fact that you're compassionate, I want to be a man of compassion. I want to be a man of loving kindness. I hate my anger. Yeah, there's times where there's an appropriate place for it. Rarely, but there is. But I just hate it. I don't want that. And it was the character of God that began to transform me. Not just, okay, I'm going to be less angry. It was, no, it was the beauty, the glory. Psalm 103. This is God's most common, you read the Old Testament, you'll see this verse everywhere. This is who God is. And and our hearts, we're created in his image. We're just naturally drawn to it. And we're naturally drawn towards his love. His love within the Godhead. His love for us and his love for each other. So, um, as we grow in love for that, well, it's really funny. So this is John 17, four chapters earlier. Earlier in the evening when Jesus, now he's praying, but Jesus is talking to the 12. And he's like, I'm giving you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everybody will know. The gospel will go out. The world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so then he prays for it a few chapters later. It's about, it's, it's not about being able to present the gospel super solid rock convincingly, though we should be able to do that. It's not about being able to prove the logical truth of Christianity, but don't let that stop you from studying and learning and sharpening your axe. It's not about having the right technique. It's about the church being the church. Through thick and thin, through the easy and the hard, through the rapids of life. It's about the church being the church and loving and gracing and forgiving and mercying and caring for one another through the hardest and thickest of stuff. My dear friends, that's when the glory of God is revealed. That's when people are drawn near to him. Jesus says that's how the world will know. Our greatest apologetic, our greatest defense of the faith is our love for each other. My friends, our lives speak so loudly the world can't hear what we're saying. But they're watching and they're looking and they're remembering the way you lived your life. At NNYM, I get, a, I get a front row seat to kind of seeing this happen um, across church boundaries and, and stuff. This is up in San, um, uh, San Francisco Bay Area. There's the Bay Area Youth Leaders Coalition. And the um, girl in the middle on the right is the one who kind of organizes it. But they've they got the whole Bay Area divided up into four or five sections. And those youth pastors meet quarterly. And then once a year, they get together for some training events. And um, all the challenges of the geography of the Bay Area and bridges and trying to get together. And these guys are finding a way to make it work to keep people encouraged. And once a year they do a conference for their volunteers to help prepare them and equip them to do the work of, of ministry. And 
I get to go and have a, I was a door greeter that day, um, just loving on people, greeting them at the door. But I get to be a part of, of that and seeing those things happen on a front row basis. The fields of faith at San Marcos High School and the, the beach thing at Pismo Beach, when you, you just see God stirring his people. And um, yeah, this is easier said than done. It's, it's hard at times. It gets messy at times. And um, it's hard. <laughs> it just really is hard. But it's so worth working at because it's at the heart of God's glory. So the answer, the question here is, Jesus prayed, and anything you ask in my name, you'll be given, right? Well, Jesus is asking in his own name. It was the prayer answered. Did it work? So the other day, I'm actually, I'm reading in, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Um, tur- turn over there, if you're, if you're right there, Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is not long after the prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. All the believers were together and had things in common. They sold possessions and property and distributed with proceeds going to all as they had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of God's people. And every single day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They did it. They did their best to love one another. And every day God was adding to their number those who were being saved. Just like Jesus prayed, just like he said it would happen. And then we read the rest of the story. Um, <laughs> like I said, the whole New Testament is written primarily to solve problems. Because <laughs> this is hard. This people stuff is hard. This relation stuff with hard. This forgiving is hard. This gracing is hard. This mercy, it's, it's hard. Love is hard. It's, it's the hardest thing we'll ever do is to really, really, really love another person. And so we work at it. Um, But the early church gives us a glimpse, gives us a hope, gives us a model, gives us an example that we can strive for. Every day God was adding to their number those who were being saved. Mm, Good stuff. So um, how do we do this? I think that the key question that I'm kind of dwelling on and and what I'm trying to encourage people everywhere I go is, so Jesus prayed this 2,000 years ago. In his omniscience, what do you think he was hoping for Santa Maria in 2024? What do you think he was hoping for Grace Baptist Church in 2024? What do you think he was hoping for Dan and Carrie's marriage in 2024? You had to have something in mind. And so the question is, the answer is simple. How can we live into that? How can we become more of an answer to Jesus' prayer that, Father, may they be one as we are one so that the world may know? And this, what does this apply to? It applies to everything. (laughs) It applies to home. It applies to work. It applies to church. It applies to your business meeting tonight. It it applies to to everything (laughs) all the time. Because this isn't just a list of do's and don'ts that we ought to do. This is a way of living that God is in me, and I'm in him, and you're in him. And you're in him. It's like C.S. Lewis said, you are no mere mortal. You bear the image of God. I'm no mere. We are God image bearers with God's presence in us. That's crazy. That, that, uh, there's crazy implications on the way you treat people. Even that jerky boss. 
or coworker. Maybe you are the jerky boss or coworker. I don't know. It ought to transform everything. Absolutely everything. Asking God to help us see people the way that he does and feel about them the way that he does and and treat them the way that he does. Asking God to put his heart in us for other people and to increase our love and our unity. Uh, Pretty sure that, that just a simple prayer, Father, help my family to be one as you and the Father are one. God, help my church, help my small group, help my business, help my marriage, help us to be one as you and the Father are one. Pretty sure Jesus is gonna answer that prayer because he prayed it. And watch what he does. Watch what he does. Heavenly Father, this is, help us to get it, Lord. Help us to get it. Because you're everywhere. You're omnipresent. But when we come to faith in you, you are now in us. You're not the big man upstairs. You're in us, and we are in you together. Oh, God, let this change the way we treat one another. Let it change the way we love and serve and care for one another. And, oh, Lord, I just pray for Grace Baptist Church 2024 that you would pour out your unity on this church in a way they've never imagined Grace them with your presence in a fresh way. May the fellowship with you be deep. May the fellowship with one another be sweet. May they be one as you and the Father are one that Santa Maria would know. In your name we pray.